0: During the next few weeks, I want to uh, encourage you to uh, join us as we are on a journey to the cross, as we are preparing for Easter. And this journey includes uh, a lot of actually different resources, and one is the practice of, of Lent. Uh, for some of us, that's that's a, well, I've heard it before, we've not really done anything here at True North, and I understand that. But Lent is basically a time when, as Christians, we are separating ourselves from the world and from worldly things. And we are entering Easter season with an increased appreciation for what Christ did on the cross, for who God is, and all that he wants to do for us. So there are a lot of resources that are going to come your way. Besides Sunday morning, you should be getting a weekly email. That weekly email will just sort of speak to Lent and what's going on, and hopefully you're getting that. If not, please let Jen Cullen know, like, hey, get me on that email list. Another awesome resource out there is Right Now Media. All of you again as a church, that's a free gift been given to you. We paid for the subscription. Basically you are able to log on and look at different Bible studies and there's, we even have our own little channel on there. You can find some of our sermons and some of the messages or Bible studies that we recommend. You can click on to a Bible study, click virtual group, And invite anybody in the church to watch it together like a Zoom call. And you can discuss it and hit the pause button tell you... It's a pretty incredible resource. So that's available to you to use. As well as the YouVersion Bible app. There's a lot of reading plans out there. I'm not going to point you to one or two specific. There's so many. Find one that's suitable for you. And then, of course, uh, this is a book that I'm going through right now. And actually, there's probably a dozen-plus people in this church reading this book... It's a 40-day devotional, Journey to the Cross, by Paul David Tripp. And a lot of the things that, I should say, some of the things that I'm going to be sharing on Sunday morning will probably be coming from that book. Um, well, how it's inspired me and how it's really uh, opened up to my eyes to a few things. So there's a lot of resources available to you during this season to prepare yourself for Easter. Just as we set aside time spiritually to prepare ourselves for Christmas, we call that Advent, so, in the same way to prepare ourselves for Easter, we have Lenten season. Now, I want to try to clarify some things behind this because, for some of us, again, you 're like i 'm not too sure about that well it 's an intensely repentant time, time to sort of contemplate what 's gone on in your life, what took place on the cross, and a time to experience the hope of the resurrection. Now, it's a time, basically, when we're saying, open up the doors to your heart, let God dig in deeper, go further in your relationship with him than maybe you would normally do. It is a time that we sort of prepare ourselves as we lead up to Good Friday and then Easter Sunday. Not just another day in a church. That's, we don't want Easter just to be, oh, it's just another Sunday. Oh, it's, it's Easter. Oh, hey, haven't seen you since Christmas. Good to see you. You know, it's, not, it's sort of one of those things we joke about, like, oh, it's one of those two times people come to church. We don't want it to be that. We want Easter to be so much more. So the Lenten season sort of prepares us for that. It begins on Ash Wednesday. Uh, some churches maybe have an Ash Wednesday service. We don't. But it begins there in the last 46 days, but there's a 40-day period because you take out six Sundays that are in there. But it's a time marked by repentance and fasting and meditation or reflection, and uh, ultimately there's this celebration. It's like, well, where did that come from? Well, it's sort of based off of the 40-day period in which Jesus went into the wilderness and was tempted by Satan, and where he fasted for 40 days. And that's sort of where they get that 40-day period. Catholic, Orthodox, and some Protestant churches observe Lent, but not everybody does. Though Lent is not named or observed in the Bible, you can look through Scripture and you can see instances or teachings that represent the things that we just talked about as far as prayer and fasting and meditation. There's a lifestyle there, obviously, in Scripture that looks similar to Lent, even though it's never really mentioned. But Lent is probably more regarded as a period of fasting, and that's probably what a lot of people are familiar with, it's like, oh, we got to stop eating, or we're giving up meals, or whatever it may be. But understand this, there's a lot of ways to experience spiritual renewal besides giving up meals. There's different things that people can fast from and what people do fast from, from meats and sweets and technology, or whatever it may be. There are various things that people have withdrawn from and fasted from. What it comes down to is a very intentional and focused time in which we look at our sins and we seek repentance and we maybe fast and pray and meditate and give. These are all things that are part of the Lenten season. And so it's going to begin for us today. The journey begins with confession. And it's got to start here. Here's the thing. We cannot truly appreciate the resurrection until we begin right here with confession so we're going to take a quick quiz though before we get started and and here's my question okay should christians be known for their happiness or their sorrow should christians show more joy or should we be very somber and 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 downcast you know which one should it be so, mm. So see some of you right now are thinking one or the other or some of you are like I want to ride the fence on this one no fence riding church sorry can't do it can't ride the fence no lukewarm in here okay here's the thing you're going to run into some some Christians and you look at them and you're like they never stop smiling they're always full of joy There must be something wrong with them, right? And then you run into other Christians, and they are as sour as can be. It's like they're always angry. They're always frustrated. If that's what Christianity is about, I don't want anything with it, right? So you can see both ends of the spectrum, right? But think about this. The early Christians went through that, didn't they? They had Good Friday. They were, oh. And then they had the resurrection. Yeah. I mean, they were talking from, from weeping to dancing. So really, our faith can probably take us all over the place, right? But I know this, nobody uh, nobody really enjoys this. Truth is, nobody wants to mourn. Nobody wants to be sad. Nobody wants to be known as the one who's always upset. They're always sad. They're always crying, right? When we see somebody crying, at least I hope, as Christians, when we see somebody crying, we want to empathize with them, don't we? We're like, it's okay. We use terms like, don't cry. It's going to be okay, right? We, we we want them to feel better. We don't want people to mourn. We don't want people to cry. But during a spiritual awakening, during a season of Lent, it is important to understand the pain of sin. To know the reality of spiritual warfare. To see temptation for what it is and the struggle in life. And when we truly focus on that and we see that, we maybe have that sense of mourning, that sadness in us, because it's like, I don't like this. When we're hurting, when we're sad, when we're mourning, but what what does that cause us to do then? It causes us to seek help. We want help. Even Jesus said those who mourn will be comforted, right? We need to know that one it's okay to mourn and when you mourn it drives you to the savior. And that's a good thing. John 14:6 is one of my favorite verses. It's up on the screen to you. Jesus is with his disciples in the upper room, and he's praying for them, and he has prayed for them. And then he reveals to them, guys, this is what I've been praying for you. And he says this, I will pray to the Father to give you another what? Comforter. That he may abide with you for." The word comforter, actually the Greek word is paracletus. And that basically means one who comes by your side. It was also used in the courtroom, basically the one that stands before you and takes the oath for you and then fights for you in court, right? So that, that comforter is one who is next to us and fights for us. That's the Holy Spirit. Church, I want you to think about this. When Jesus was in the upper room and he's praying, just picture this. My father, I pray for Peter, for John, for James. And now go ahead and start putting your name in there. I pray for Lupe, for Callie. And, And he's praying for you. As he prayed for those disciples, he's praying for you. And what does he pray? I pray that my spirit comes right beside you. Isn't that an amazing picture of of truth of what he was doing in that moment? It's like Jesus saying, I'm praying that my spirit, because I'm not going to be here much longer, and when I'm gone, my spirit is going to be right here beside you, paracletus, attached right here to lead you in truth, to comfort you when you're mourning to strengthen you, to guide you. That's my prayer for you, our comforter. And Lent season is a time when we must remember the suffering and the sacrifice of our Savior. And when we really think about what Jesus did on the cross, when we really pay attention to the pain And we don't gloss it over with a little, oh, that's a really cool picture. No, put yourself there. And when we start to do that, it should cause us to mourn, to be sad. Because of how Jesus Christ suffered. And we have to recognize the weight of our sin that put him on the cross. Church, it's our fault. It really is. Whether we choose intentionally to sin or not, it is our sin that put Jesus on that cross. Have you told a lie recently? Have you hurt somebody recently? Have you taken something that doesn't belong to you recently? Did you speak poorly of another person recently? That sin, your sin, my sin is what put them on the cross. That's our fault. It's our fault. And it should cause us to mourn. When we realize the size and the depth of something, you gain a new perspective of of the uniqueness of its power. For instance, if I'm watching a, a YouTube video of a guy being chased by a dog, or... I'm being chased by a dog. Those are different things, aren't they? Or maybe watching a chef make a gourmet meal or tasting a gourmet meal. That's different. Or looking at pictures of a mountaintop or actually standing on that summit and looking out. It's different, isn't it? In the same way, when you consider the bad things Maybe as I'm driving down the road, I'm considering the bad things that I did in my life. Oh, yeah, I've sinned. Compared to me actually being at the foot of the cross, seeing the blood drip onto the stones and the gravel, and hearing a Savior above me mourn and cry and groan in agony. Those are two different things. As we, as we look into our lives, we must consider the things that we have done, put him on the cross. What are those things? What is, has what is taken us away from the Christian walk that we so much want to journey on? What has detoured us away from Christ? What what has kept us from growing in our faith? What things in this world have gotten our attention that we just can't put our eyes on Christ because we're putting our eyes everywhere else? What has stolen our attention away? Social media, games, hobbies, habits, work, sleep, TV. There's probably a list of them, right? But what is it in your life that's caused you to look away from Christ or caused you to detour away from your, your journey of faith? Because see, during this time, it's important that we truly see the depth and the darkness of our sin. We must truly acknowledge the greatness of God and his love towards us and what he did on the cross and the depth of our sin. We have to recognize that. We can't gloss it over. You may be familiar with the story. I may have shared this before. I don't know. I'm sure you've heard it. About how to catch a monkey in the jungle as if. We need this in Wauseon, okay? But if you were ever in a jungle and you wanted to catch a monkey, here's how you do it. First of all, you get a coconut. Then you drill a hole in the coconut. That hole that you're going to drill, it needs to be large enough that a monkey can put its hand in, but small enough that once it grabs the food inside the coconut, it can't pull its hand out. You chain that coconut to a tree. Monkeys are curious. They're going to look, they see that coconut, they're going to go in, they see the food, they're going to put their hand in there, they're going to grab the food. But once they grab the food, their hand is so big, they can't pull that hand back out of the coconut. You come up with the net, throw the net over the the monkey. You just call yourself a monkey. That's how you do it. Now, it seems strange and weird. Google it, it's out there, okay. But that's how you do it. Now, I was thinking about this. Refusing to let go of the food is what has... Basically, put that monkey into a place of being bound. All you have to do is let go, monkey, (laughs) right? And it's free. It's free. But it won't. It is so trapped by something physical, but yet it's not physical. It's an idea. Of I must hold on to this physical thing. All that monkey has to do is in its mind say, I don't need this. And just let go. And it can be free. Aren't we just like that monkey at times? We can easily find ourselves in situations that resemble that moment because we hold on to certain ideas and beliefs that we have to have something. And we grab onto it and we hold it and we say, I've got to have this in my life. And God says, you need to let go of that. And we're like, no, I've got to hold on to it. And we grab on to things that hurt us. things that, And sometimes it might even be something good. Between good and bad, you name them, you list them. There's, there's work, there's alcohol, there's drug, there's sex, there's pornography, there's television. There's money. Even religious things can get us as well. We lust, we seek, we long to have. And before long, we find ourselves like the Apostle Paul. He said this in Romans 7, 19. It's up on the screen. I want to do what's good, but I don't. And I don't want to do what's wrong but I do it anyway. (laughs) Doesn't that sound familiar? Do you ever ever feel yourself in that moment, you're like, I don't want to do this, but you end up doing it? Or, hey, I need to do this, but you, you don't do it? Sin is like an addiction. It's so easy to grab, but it's so hard to let go of, isn't it? Now, for those of you, it's like, oh, what is this? The sin, you know, I I keep saying sin. Sin is this, it's described, the the Greek word in the Bible basically describes as missing the mark. So those of you who are in archery or darts, it's an easy picture for you, right? I'm aiming for the bullseye. I'm aiming for the target, but I missed the mark. That's what the word sin means. Sin means I'm trying to live for God, but I have failed. I've missed. But that's I don't think that that's what the word means, okay? But I think maybe we need to change up the picture a little bit more. I think maybe we need to look at it a different way so that it makes a little bit more, I don't know, maybe it sort of hits in our heart a little bit deeper. I would say look at it like this. Instead of looking at it as, I missed a mark, look at sin as a crime against God. We have a rap sheet that makes us Felons before God. When I lie, I commit a crime against God. Oh, it was just a little white lie. Or oh, it was a really bad lie. I don't care whether, what kind of lie you want to categorize it. It was a crime. And when you go to a prison, who's behind the, who's behind the bars? Criminals who have committed all sorts of crimes. Different levels of crimes. It doesn't matter. They're all behind bars. Our sin is a crime against a holy God. Doesn't matter what it was, it's a crime. And now we are imprisoned by sin. Sometimes, to break free, sort of like that monkey, all we need to do is let go. Just let go. But for some reason, sin in our lives is so hard to let go of. I don't, I don't understand why. But the Bible speaks to it. So, church, we're going to pause for a second. I got to ask you this question because I, as I prepare, I have to ask myself this question. And even after first service, I'd ask myself again, "What are we grabbing onto? What are you grabbing onto right now that you need to let go of? How does it make you feel? Sad, angry, ashamed?" that you are holding on to this sin in your life right now? Here's the thing. If, if you're holding on to a sin right now and you feel nothing, then you don't need a Savior. You are your own Savior. But if you've got sin in your life and you're holding on to it, it should open your eyes to the fact that you do need a Savior. You need somebody to free you. And until we acknowledge that the pain and the harm and the ugliness of sin, we won't choose to seek a Savior in our life. There's no reason to run to the cross if you don't need to be rescued. guess what I'm saying is, we don't understand the word rescue until we understand the word peril and pain. We need to pray that our eyes are open to sin, that we see the depth of what it is that we confess it to God. If you're hearing the the burden and you're saddened by your sin, praise god your the spirit is talking to you god's holy spirit is telling you you need to receive the grace now you know as a child um I've got, I've a family of six. I've got five siblings and there's six of us kids. And, and we had two TVs in the house. One was in the living room and one was in the kitchen. One was a black and white. That was in the kitchen, small little one, right? And, and the thing is, when you're the youngest of all the kids, whatever the older brothers want to watch, they're going to get to watch it, right? And I can't remember what my brothers were watching. I didn't want to watch it. Mom and dad are gone. So I went into the kitchen. I want to watch my own show. I mean, I'm just a little kid. And so I turn on the TV and I'm watching. Well, at the, at the table, we have a centerpiece. Okay, but we always have a centerpiece, and and there's there's sometimes it's a candle. Okay, so now there's a little boy with a candle and matches and a TV. Not a good combination for you parents out there, right? Y'all understand where this is going, right? So I light the candle and I'm got the candle going, watching TV, and then well there, we always have napkins at the centerpiece too. Yeah, so napkins, flammable material, candle, kitchen, little boy by himself. Not always a good story, right? Okay, so I. Curious, being a little boy, I'm taking the napkin and just sort of like taking it over the flame. It's like, cool, right? Forget the TV show now. Cool. But it, what was it? It was my, it was my selfishness that drove me into the room because I wanted my own way, right? Now I'm playing with fire. Next thing I know, the napkin catches on fire. And I'm like, oh, what do I do now, right? Little boy, I'm like, this sort of cool. I'm holding on to fire, but this isn't good. And finally it hits me. I'm in the kitchen. There is a sink water. So as I rush over to the sink, part of the flaming napkin falls to the floor. So I'm like, yes, no. And again, little boy, what do I do? Do I step on it? I don't know. I'm barefoot. Do I, um, do I get a cup? Do I put water in a cup? do, Do I, you know, finally when I figured it out, I did get it out. But here's the thing. It was a white linoleum floor. Now there's a big black burn mark where it's sort of burned away. Now, I praise God for uh, parents, one, who disciplined me, okay? I I can't remember the punishment, okay? But one, they disciplined me, but two, they forgave me. And I was forgiven. But here's the thing. Every time I walked into the kitchen to go to the fridge, which was often, okay? But every time I, I had to step over that black mark, every day I was reminded of my mistake. Every day I was reminded of my selfishness. Every day. I had to see that. The amazing thing is we have done a lot of stuff in our life that have left marks and they're not good. But God forgives us. Satan likes to remind us of those marks. Hey, remember that? Remember that? He's the accuser. But God is the forgiver, and He comes in and He forgives us. The question is though, are we really aware of what sin is, or do we try to cover it up? Could have very easily taken a rug, little throw rug, and just put it over that little burn mark. Mom, I think you ought to put this in the kitchen. This looks really good in here. She never did. We never did cover it up can't dismiss it can't ignore it, and if we try to do that with sin, it will ruin us. The question is Will you welcome the Holy Spirit's conviction in your life right now? Will you let God's Spirit speak to you right now and convict you of whatever's going on in your life? What are you holding on to? What will you not let go of? That thing that we have held on to has imprisoned us. That is what put Christ on the cross. Only Jesus can forgive us. Only Jesus can save us. Only Jesus can start a transformational process in us. And he says to us, just come as you are. I'll give you what you can't afford, and what you don't deserve. The beautiful thing about coming to church is that everybody who stepped in the doors today, every one of us, we're all sinners. We're all welcome. Not one of us in here are perfect. All of us, have been given the opportunity to receive God's grace. Not one of you had to get your life straight before you came in. Isn't that good news? But some of us right now are struggling. And sin always deceives us, always divides us, always destroys us. That's what sin does. We think of it as pleasurable, but somebody always gets hurt. We think of it as as being profitable, but it will always divide us. We think sin is excusable, but it always tends to destroy us. It leaves us crippled and broken is what sin does. It causes us to mourn, to weep. Especially when we look and we see the pain that we've left behind. It's so much easier just to ignore our sin, isn't it? <laughs> How about we just blame everybody else? Have you seen that on the news lately? People who have made mistakes? Let's just blame somebody else for that, right? Right? That's what we do with sin. It's so much easier to blame, excuse instead of owning up. So we're going to stop for a moment. I want you to see, I've been trying to preach this, that sin is real. Sin is painful. Mourn, groan, be angry at sin, but let it drive you to the foot of the cross. And while you're at the foot of the cross, again stop and look at the blood that has dripped onto the ground at the foot of the cross and then look up slowly and see the Savior who loves you, who's trying to breathe, whose face is bloodied. And he says, I forgive you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I know there's more to preach. I know there's more to say. But I just feel we just need to pause as a church. For those watching online or for those in this room, we all have sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of you. We all have sin in our life and it should anger us. It should cause us to mourn. It's our fault that you had to send your son to save us. But you are an amazing God, full of grace, giving us what we don't deserve, full of mercy, not giving us what we do deserve, full of love. And you have simply offered us new life. All we have to do is just confess our sins to you. We just got to let go and be free from the imprisonment of sin in our life. So God, right now I ask that Lord, before I continue on to read your word, right now where we're at, that we can just honestly pray to you. Everyone right where they're sitting, right now, just to contemplate what sin has taken hold of them or what we have taken hold of. God, help us to let it go. Forgive us, God, of our sins. Forgive us, God. Forgive us. We let go. We surrender these to you. Thank you for your forgiveness, God. In the name I pray, amen. In your name, Lord, we thank you for all those that you are. I mean, God, who God is. He is our creator. We try to find pleasure in creation, don't we? That's all we want. We come out of the womb just wanting to be loved and, and, and to find joy and peace. And we, we seek for it in all creation. We, we look around for all these things. This will make me happy. This will make me happy. We're we're seeking the things of what? Creation. What is creation supposed to do? Creation should drive us to the creator. That's who we should be seeking. Creation was designed to point us to an eternal, loving, holy God. During Lent, we are seeking to open up our eyes to what the magnitude of sin is. So that we can fully realize the grace of God. We will never understand the grace of God till we see the ugliness of our sin. When you see the ugliness of your sin, you will truly recognize the grace of God. And it is amazing. Truly amazing. Today is not meant to be a downer sermon, but an opening of our eyes. Because once we see what's really going on on here and once we get it cleaned up the resurrection looks so much more awesome as we approach easter our hearts should mourn but our spirit will rejoice because of the grace and mercy of jesus christ remember just as jesus christ died to defeat death we must too He invites us in to do this. Of course, we know Jesus Christ didn't remain in the tomb. He finished the work at the cross, was buried, took our sins with him to the tomb, and then he nailed them there, buried them there. He rose victorious over sin, victorious over death, completed his mission, right? Now it's our turn to die. Not physically, but spiritually. It's our turn to spiritually die, and put all that as well behind us. And dying to self and selfish, sinful choices is is scriptural. It, it is like what five, ten minutes here till the service is over with, and I've not told you to open your Bibles yet. I've shared scripture, but now I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles. And I'm just gonna, I'm not going to put the scripture up on the screen. I'll put the references there, but I'm going to read through them, and I want you to read along, or you can listen. But it is, it is here after after we understand what sin is, its ugliness, it's it's what it did. Now we must confess it. We must let go of it. Now, living in Christ as Christians, here's what we're challenged to do. Because see, we first confess and then we are forgiven. Now as believers in Christ, through faith, now daily we must do something. Look at Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Jesus is talking to the crowd, and he says this. If any of you want to be my follower. Now let's pause. Let's say Jesus is up here, and I'm like, Jesus is up here. I'm sitting down, right? Let him do the talking. And he looks out amongst all of you, and he says, any of you want to be my follower? We're like, the hands are shooting up. Yes, absolutely. We want to be your follower. That's why we're here, right? Isn't that why you came to church? I know it wasn't for the coffee or, sorry, Dave, or the chairs or the music or me. You didn't come here for that. You didn't come here because, oh, I want to see people or, or I need to get out of the house. You know, I, hopefully you came because you want to follow Jesus and you want to worship him, right? So Jesus up here goes, anybody here want to be a follower of me? Look what he says it has to happen. You must give up your own way. Let go of what's inside that coconut. You must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for your sake, you'll save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you yourself are lost or destroyed? Jesus says, you want to follow me? Daily die to yourself. Pick up the cross. I picked up the cross. I carried it. I was hung on it. I died on it for you. You want to follow me? You pick up a cross now, every day. Spiritually, we must die every day to self. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 14. Let me read this. Well, then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ in baptism, we joined Him in His death? For we died, we were buried with Christ by baptism, and just as Christ was raised from the dead from the glorious power of the Father, we may also live new lives. That's why when, baptism, when we're baptizing people, we put them under the water just like Jesus was buried, and then we bring them back out of the water just as Jesus was resurrected. Verse 3, 5 says, Since we've been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful lives, selves, were crucified with Christ so that we sin might lose its power in our lives. Listen to this. We are no longer slaves to sin. We're not like the monkey who's got his hand in a coconut chained to a tree. We're not like the criminal behind the bars. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We're sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead. He'll never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. For when he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. Look at verse 11. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Those sins in our lives that we struggle with are dead. Consider them dead and buried. We are alive in Christ. We're alive in Christ. Verse 12 says, Do not let sin control the way you live. Don't give in to sinful desires. Don't let any part of your body become an instrument of evil and to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what's right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Isn't that good news? Dying to sins begins with an initial surrendering and confession to God. God, I am so sorry. When we were just praying, I hope you had an opportunity. If you know you can pray later when we're singing, you can pray right now. But we need to confess. When we confess our sins to God, it begins there. In that moment, we recognize the sin in our life, that we were criminals and we're sorry. We regret what we've done. We want forgiveness. And God says, I forgive you. And he frees us. When we die to sin itself, there's, there's now a new life. Resurrection. What Jesus experienced, he says, you get to experience now. See, I, as I died, you're dying to sin. But as I live, you live in new life. Worship team, would you please come forward? The truth is, we will never change until we first die to sin and die to self. Yeah, I was reading God's Word, um, Colossians chapter three. If you're in here and you're part of every man a warrior, um, you've you've read this is one of the first scriptures you read, and and I was rereading it again recently, and, and I want to read this to you. Listen to scripture. It says, since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of the earth. For you died to this life. Your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the world you'll share in his glory. Listen to verse 5. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. Don't be greedy. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. goes on to say, you used to do these things when your life was still part of the world. But now, now is the time to get rid of anger and rage and malicious behavior, slander, dirty language. Don't lie to each other. For you stripped off that old sinful nature and all of its wicked deeds. Put on a new nature. Be renewed as you learn how, as you learn to know your creator and become like him. You know, as I was reading that scripture and there's so much more good stuff there. Colossians 3, read through it. I was taken back to when I grew up on the farm. Now, we had animals, and a lot of times we took them to, uh, to be butchered, or sometimes my dad would actually slaughter them there on the farm. But we also had other creatures that would come in to the farm that were not welcome, whether it was uh, maybe a groundhog or a possum or a raccoon or other things. And, you know, if you grew up on a farm around the country, there's a reason you own a gun, Okay. Um, And sometimes it's to get rid of unwanted creatures, right? And I'll never forget the night when we had a possum come in, and and we're like, yeah, get rid of that possum. And and it was like, it wasn't one of those like, shoo, shoo, okay? Or, better yet, a skunk, you know? It says, put to death. Scripture says, put to death. Put to death. And, and I was thinking about that. I was like, yeah, sometimes there was an, as an unwanted creature animal. We, we would put it to death. Yeah, I know that doesn't make a lot of animal right? lover people happy, whatever, okay? But there's certain creatures you just got to get rid of. And those were ones that we felt we needed to get rid of. And we got rid of them. We put them to death. We didn't play with them. See, that's what sin is sin comes in and we play with it. No, nobody in their right mind plays with a skunk. Right? Oh, here kitty, kitty. That's not a cat. That thing will turn around and squirt you and you will stink. That's what sin does. We play with sin. Oh, come on, sin, sin, sin. And then it turns on us and then we stink. And sometimes it's a worse creature where it maybe doesn't spray us. It bites us or it attacks us. And what does scripture tell us? Put sin to death. Don't play with it. As we prepare for Easter during this Lent season, we gotta start here. We cannot enjoy the resurrection and celebrate the goodness of who God is and what He's done for us unless we first recognize what it was that put Him there. It was us. It was our fault, our sin. So we must confess our sin. We must mourn at our sin. And then we must put to death our sin. You stand, please? this journey to the cross, this season of Lent, we must put to death the things of the old and it must be done daily. So over the next 40 plus days, I want to encourage you, daily put to death the things that you are struggling with. Let go of them. Put them to death. Get rid of them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an amazing God you are. God, we we recognize, we confess it's, it's our sins that put you at the cross. But it's at the cross where we found hope, where we found forgiveness, where we find victory. God, forgive us. God, forgive us. Take our sins, remove them as far as the east is to the west. Forgive us. Make us, Lord, to mourn, to weep, to be disgusted with our sin. And then, God, remove our mourning. May your comforter that is with us bring us hope. May your comforter renew our spirit. May your comforter give us the strength to daily die to sin and live for you. May your comforter lead us into victory. May your Holy Spirit comforter Speak to us now. We love you, Lord. We want to sing to you. And as we sing, God, to you, may we continue to speak to you and you speak to us. In thy name we pray.